Welcome back to another episode of the Holy Shift Podcast. Welcome back. Happy New Year, everybody. First episode of 2024. Happy New Year. Yeah, New Year. (laughs) We've all, since we're all uh, in the middle of our New Year's resolutions, we're we're fresh and ready to go for a new episode here. We encourage everybody to um, take it. Take on the challenge of reading through the Bible this year. Joe Allen has taken up that challenge. He's already started. Joe Allen. Yep. Joe yep. Allen. <laughs> I'm going to be trying to read back through it myself. Well, I wasn't, but I guess now I have to. <laughs> yeah. so I guess I'll jump on that bandwagon. It's always good to read the Bible. Always good. Um, what are we talking about today, guys? So... Uh, Anyone who follows our social medias might have noticed over the weekend some quite a, a little bit of a debate broke out on the subject of errors in the Bible. So we thought we would go ahead and do dedicate an episode to that topic. So we're going to be going through some scriptures today and uh, just discussing uh, our thoughts on different errors, contradictions, things that we find. Yeah. Uh, so the way we were thinking about doing this episode is I'm going to start off up front. I'm going to go through, um, because a lot of the discussion over the weekend and, and discussions that we have all the time are, they always, people want to know, do you think the Bible is the inerrant word of God? And uh, my answer to that question is always, no, I don't think it's inerrant. And I tell people, because there are errors, like there are clear, um, I mean, clear errors that everyone can open their Bible and see. And uh, I just, we're going to go through those first. So up front, we're going to just walk through a few errors. There's a lot more that could be said, um, but then we're going to have our discussion afterwards. So that way, if you want to come back to this po- this episode and look through the verses we've mentioned. Um, All you got to do is listen to this first part and you can go back through it yourself. Uh, But we've got Bibles open. I'm going to go through a few things and uh, hope you will follow along. And if you're, if you're interested in this, um, I think, I think you can dig in and research it. If you are sensitive to, uh, if, if you're worried about, something like this, a topic like errors in the Bible, harming your faith. This might not be an episode you want to listen to um, because some people are just uncomfortable with that. Uh, But if you're interested, you want to dig in and you want, I mean, even if you just want to do it for the sake of just proving us, you know, proving us wrong for your own sake, I mean, that's perfectly fine. Uh, But we're just going to dig in and get started. And I mean, I, Thing. This goes without saying, but we make no claim to be experts. Yeah, definitely not experts. Any area. We don't know Greek, no. Hebrew, Aramaic. No, we have spent a lot of time reading experts, listening to experts, uh, but we're definitely not experts ourselves. Uh, so we'll put that disclaimer out there. Um, but I feel like the stuff we're going to share with you is is Pretty doesn't basic. take a lot of expertise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but you can make that call for yourself. So, y'all ready? Let's dig in. Like Let's I said, I'm just going to go through them. Won't be a lot of discussion to start with. The discussion will be afterwards. Um, <clears throat> all right, so anytime I'm approached with this question, are there errors in the Bible? Uh, and I want to show someone that there are. My first, The first thing that I'm going to go to is look for stories in the Bible that are told in different books, the same stories that are told in different books and just compare them. So we have examples of this, for example, like the gospels, they all, they all four of them tell a lot of the same stories. Um, and you can just line them up side by side, read through those accounts and you can write down what happens in each event. And you're going to see inconsistencies. You're going to see what you might call contradictions or errors. Um, so I'm going to show some of that. We also have books like First uh, and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings tell a lot of the same stories as 
First and Second Chronicles. So those are two books, those are six books basically, but you can line them up side by side, find the same stories throughout and compare them, see if everything lines up. Uh, so these first ones I'm gonna show you are from Samuel and Chronicles. Uh, I mean, they're clear cut errors, mistakes, whether it's copying errors or, or what, uh, you know, you can research that, but we got some Bibles open, um, and some notes. So let's dig in and right. real quick, real so quick. What, uh, yeah, what Bible, what Bible are you, uh, reading out of King James? This is actually a, uh, NIV, uh, fire Bible, a, a right. fire Bible. It's fire stuff. That was my next commentary. Question. It's a study Bible. Um, we also have a new living translation, yeah. but we don't have a King James with us, but I have a new uh, King James. We'll, uh, we'll talk about the King James a little bit in our discussion. Okay. So let's start us off. Second Samuel ten eighteen, And we're going to be reading first Chronicles 19 and 18. So I'll read the verse from Samuel first. It says the Arameans, fled from Israel and David killed 700 charioteers of the Armians and 40,000 horsemen and struck Shobach, the commander of the army. All right. So we have 700 charioteers that he killed and 40,000 horsemen. Okay. The same story is told in first Chronicles 19, 18. It says the Armians fled from Israel. David killed the Armians 7,000 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers. And he put Shopak, the commander of the army, to death. Right? Same exact story, similar numbers, but you'll notice in Samuel, it's 700 charioteers. In Chronicles, it, you know, it gets uh, extended to 7,000 charioteers. Um, in Samuel, he killed 40,000 horsemen. In Chronicles, he kills 40,000 foot soldiers. So uh, I don't know if he actually killed 80,000. He killed 40,000 horsemen and 40,000 foot soldiers. But it seems most likely to be just a small copy and error on the part of people telling this story. All right, we'll look at another one. 2 Samuel 24, 9 and 1 Chronicles 21, 5. All right, verse from Samuel. Joab gave the number of the census of the people to the king in Israel. There were 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000. Okay, so you got 800,000, 500,000. All right, in Chronicles 21, 1 Chronicles 21, 5, it says, Then Joab gave the number of the census to the people of the people to David. In Israel was 1,100,000 men. In all who drew the sword and Judah was 470,000 men who drew the sword so small difference but there is a difference um, we can look at 2nd Samuel 2424 uh, and 1st Chronicles 2124 so here we'll see this is David he says I will not Offer burnt offerings to the Lord that cost to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. Okay, uh, and then in First Chronicles twenty one twenty four he says, "I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing." So David gave Ornan six hundred shekels of gold by weight for the site. So sounds like the same instance. He, in one, he's paying 50 shekels of silver for it. In the other, he's paying 600 shekels of gold. Small thing again, but seems different. All right, in 1 Kings 4.26 and in 2 Chronicles 9.25, we have the same description about Solomon here. Uh, 1 Kings, it says Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. In 2 Chronicles 9.25, it says, Now Sol Solomon had 4,000 stalls of horses 
and chariots and 12,000 horsemen. So, same amount of horsemen. Um, in 1 Kings, he has 40,000 stalls. In 2 Chronicles, he has 4,000 stalls. So, probably a copying error at some point. All right, and then we'll look at one more from these two. First uh, Kings 24:8. Joachim was 18 year old, 18 years old when he began to reign, and in Second Chronicles 36:9, Joachim was eight years old when he began to reign. So you got 18, and then you got eight. Can't be both. Um, one of them is an error. Uh, in some translations, in that Second Chronicles verse 36:9. You'll see, a, it'll say 18, but you'll see a little asterisk there that tells you that the older manuscripts say 8. So, there's differences. Small differences, but they're there. Alright. Next, I want to move on to the Gospels. Um, you've probably noticed this if you've read the Gospels. First one we'll look at is the, uh, the Christmas story, the birth narrative. Um, if you read these side by side, I went ahead and did it again this afternoon. They are completely different stories. Matthew tells one birth story about how Jesus came into the world. Luke tells a completely different story. What we do at Christmas time is we mesh them together. Um, so I'll just point out some of the details. I don't want to just read the whole stories, but you can go back and look. And if you're honest with yourself, I think you're going to see two different stories. Um, so Matthew chapter 1, it's one, uh, Matthew chapter 1 through chapter 2, you can read. Um, but in Matthew, we don't see Jesus born in a manger, right? It seems that he uh, already lives in Bethlehem, perhaps. There's no mention of him living in uh, Nazareth. And you'll understand why that's important later. Um but he seems to just be in a house because the wise men follow a star. And here's another thing. The star is moving and then it settles. The, the Bible says it settles over the house. So you've got a moving star that then stops in the sky, I guess. Um, the wise men go into the house where they worship Jesus. Herod learns of Jesus' birth. He sends men out to kill Jesus. Joseph and the family, they flee to, to Egypt. And they stay there till Herod dies. But when they go back to go home to Bethlehem uh, in Judea, Joseph hears that Herod's son is now in charge. So they move on to find another place to live and they settle in Nazareth. That's what it says. Right? So they're not from Nazareth. Jesus is born in Bethlehem in a house. They flee to Egypt. They come back and then they settle in Nazareth because they don't want to go back to Judea. Luke, we have a completely different story, right? Joseph and Mary in Luke chapter 2, they already live in Nazareth, right? Um, the Roman governors, they put out a census, so everybody has to return to their original ancestral homeland. So it says Joseph was a descendant of David, so he had to go to Bethlehem. So this is where they travel to Bethlehem. They try to find a room in an inn, but they don't have any because everybody's going there for the census. So Jesus is born in a manger in Luke. This is where we get the manger story. Uh, there's no magi who follow a star in Luke. Right? There's some shepherds in a field. They're visited by angels, and they're told the Savior was born in a manger, so they go find him. Okay? No, uh, no wise, no wise men talking to Herod. Right? So Jesus, on the eighth day, he's taken to the temple and circumcised, and then after the purification period, which if you remember from our uh, from our slaves and women episode, that would be thirty-three days since Jesus was a boy. If he was a girl, it would have been sixty-six days. But so Jesus was circumcised. So. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Then after that purification period, which was 33 days, they go to Jerusalem, and that's where Jesus is celebrated. You have people showing up, worshiping him. Um, and then after the ceremony, 
after they take all this takes place in Jerusalem, it says they return to their home in Nazareth, where they stay as Jesus grows, and they visit Jerusalem once a year. Right? No mention of Egypt, no mention of Herod killing trying to kill babies. They live in Nazareth. That's where uh, Mary and Elizabeth talk about John and Jesus. They travel to Bethlehem. Jesus is born. They go to the temple where he's circumcised. And then they go back home to Nazareth. Completely different story. No, no, uh, no star, no wise men, no mass genocide of babies. All right, and you're welcome to read those for yourself. I encourage you to. Um, we have similar things in the death and resurrection story. Uh, you could just read through them and ask yourself some questions. Um, for example, uh, I talked about this on in a uh, comment. I said, uh, you know, what did the sign over Jesus's head say? When he was on the cross, there was a sign. Um, and each gospel gives you a different, and it's a very minor difference. But it's different. So, for example, Matthew, the sign over Jesus says, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. In Mark, it just says the king of the Jews. In Luke, it reads, this is the king of the Jews. And in John, it reads, Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Okay, very minor differences, but it depends on what level of inerrancy you're you're thinking about the Bible. I mean, only one of these can be right. So three people have to have at least some minor error there. Uh, again, not a big deal, but just something to uh, notice. Um, and then just read the, the death resurrection narratives side by side. Ask yourself stuff like, who went to the tomb Sunday morning? You know, it depends on which gospel you read. In John, you've got Mary Magdalene going down there by herself, and then Peter and John following after her. But in Mark, you've got Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, somebody named Salome. Um, in Matthew, you've just got the two Marys. Uh, and in Luke, you have the women, is all it says. So, which gospel is correct? Um, you can look at the story of Peter. Uh, when he denies Christ three times, if you read them side by side, each time someone asks him um, if he knows Jesus or points out that he was with Jesus, just write down who that person was. It's different um, depending on the gospel. In some gospels, it's a slave girl sees him twice, and then some other guy. In some gospels, it's different people. So it's never the same people. So it's impossible to just match those together and say all these people um, called him out if he only denied him three times. So one of them has to have some minor error. Um, this is an interesting one. Was the stone already rolled away? In Matthew 28, you see Mary and the other Mary come to the tomb. They're wondering how they're going to move the stone away. An earthquake happens. And the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone. Okay, so there's an earthquake. An angel shows up, rolls the stone away. And then that angel talks to the women. Right? In John, Mary, she's coming by herself. She gets to the tomb while it's still dark. And she's, it says, and saw the stone was already removed from the tomb. This is in John 20, 20 and 1, right? So in Matthew, they see an angel come down. There's an earthquake, and the angel rolls the stone away. In John, it's already been removed from the tomb. Pretty big difference there. Uh, Matthew is also, he tells a story about a resurrection of saints in the graveyard. He's the only one that tells that story. That seems like a pretty big deal if... Uh, you know, I, it seems strange that the other ones leave left that out. <laughs> yeah. um, and you can ask yourself, who was in the tomb? In Matthew, you just have the one angel who rolled the stone away. In Mark, it says there's a young man sitting in the tomb when they get there. 
And Luke says there's two men who all of a sudden stood near them. And then in John, there were two angels sitting at the where Jesus was originally laying. So just line up those narratives, read them side by side, and just be honest. What do you think? Do they match up? And again, it's small things, but is it the same story? Um, so we can do that. You can do that with all those stories. Uh, but then I do want to point out there are some errors that are not just of that nature. Uh, and yeah, that was uh, something I was about to ask is, do you have any examples of, because those are minor, those are minor errors, like numerical errors, something that could easily be a copy error. Obviously yeah. the gospels were written by oral tradition. So there's expected to be differences, but is there anything that would affect fit like doctrine, any errors that would um, change how someone views Christianity? <laughs> there are some pretty big things. Uh, we'll go ahead and look at, so these are passages. This affects, um, pretty, pretty, um, big passages that are in the scripture. Uh, we could look at Mark 16 and eight. If you get there, uh, if you read the King James, you've got the whole thing. You've got, uh, 16 and eight through 19 or an eight through 20. Um, but if you look at any other Bible, and even in the King James, if it's a good study Bible, there should be an asterisk there. Uh, but Mark 9 through 20 is either not there or it has an asterisk by it. And this is the entire resurrection account of what happened after they saw um, Jesus in the book of Mark. Uh, otherwise, it ends on trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's the original ending of Mark from the early manuscripts we have. Um, and you'll notice there's an asterisk, but there is more after that. And this is where your snake handlers get their, uh, their entire, <laughs> their entire snake handling practice is based off of a passage. Um, it's not from really this section, Mark 16 and 17. So they're basing it on something that's not even originally in the Bible. Um, there's also, Another favorite story, you've got the woman uh, caught in adultery. This is, every, this is a huge story in Christianity. It's in all the Jesus movies. You hear it preached on all the time. But the story about the woman caught in adultery, if you look at it in your Bible, John 7, 53 through um, 8, verse 11, there should be an asterisk there. This is a story that was not originally in the Bible. Right? It's not in our oldest manuscripts. And then it's not even in later manuscripts. Uh, in some of the later manuscripts, they do see it like written in the margins. And then as they see some older and older manuscripts, it eventually gets put into the story. Um, that is, uh, I, I can't quote where I have heard that. It may be Bart Ehrman. It was Bart Ehrman. Yeah. So, to do. so those are big differences. Um, and then, let me show you. This is, um, let me see if I can find that. Let me just a second. We can edit the. Uh... While, you, while you look that up, I'll say that uh, this is a quote from Dr. Bart Ehrman, who is the. Uh, professor at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill Religious Studies that says when you compare all the manuscripts we have there are over 500,000 differences between all of them yeah yeah um, yes the majority of them are minor uh, like grammatical or spelling or or whatever but errors nonetheless no one is arguing that um, you should just throw out the Bible because it's, it has errors in it. We just think that the, or I think, I'll speak for myself, that you have to adjust. If you look at the Bible honestly, I just don't see how you hold to the doctrine of inerrancy. 
when there are clear errors. Anyway, okay, so first John, I remember this is one of the first ones I ever discovered um, because I knew there was this clear verse that in the King James Bible that talked about the Trinity. And um, I remember trying to find it one day. I was I was having a conversation with some friends about the Trinity. And I was like, there is a clear verse in the book of First John. And I could not find it in the Bible I was reading. And it is First John 5 and 7. Um, if you read it in the King James, you'll see that it says, There are three that testify in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and those three are one. That's a direct Trinity verse. Yeah. But there should be an asterisk there telling you that that is not in um, any of the earlier manuscripts we see. That's only in uh, the later ones that uh, a guy named Erasmus had copied because he had copied from some other sources. And uh, so you, sh you should be able to read that in any study Bible. Um, and that's a good thing to do is just go through and look for asterisks as you're reading the Bible and you can get an idea of where some controversy or, or conflict may be about what should be in there. Uh, but in the NIV or any other Bible besides the King James, it says, for there are three that testify the spirit, the water and the blood. And these three are in agreement. All right. So nothing about the father, son and the word or the the Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit, that was added much later, and it ended up getting put into the King James. So uh, that's a pretty big deal. Um, there's some other things we'll talk about. I, I want to show you this really quick because this is just a clear error from Matthew. It's in... Okay, here we go. Okay, so in Matthew 27, verse 9 through 10, um, here Matthew just makes an error. The, or whoever was writing, the writer of Matthew, he's writing about a verse that can be found in Zechariah in uh, chapter 11, 12 through 13, and he calls it he says it's found in jeremiah he says then that which was spoken through jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled and then he quotes a verse from zechariah uh, and it's about the 30 pieces of silver um, that verse is actually found in zechariah 11 12. Um, i've read defenses for this people say well he was just quoting a scroll that had jeremiah and zechariah in it so he mentioned jeremiah um, but that doesn't really hold up because there's other places where Matthew quotes Zechariah. And this one is really interesting to me. I remember I came across this when I was taking like a, they used to have iTunes University. You remember that? And one of the courses was it, was, it was like from Yale or something. And it was on the book of Matthew. And the guy went through the entire book. And I this stood out to me. So in Zechariah and Matthew even or the writer of Matthew mentions this is Zechariah as the prophet Zechariah said uh, but when you read Zechariah um, chapter 21 verse 9 this is a prophecy that was supposed to be fulfilled by Jesus messianic prophecy yeah it says Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a coal, the foal of a donkey. Okay, so Zechariah says here, he's mounted on a donkey, even on a coal, the foal of a donkey. Now ask yourself, how many animals is that? A donkey, even on a coal, the foal of a donkey. Does that sound like one or two animals, Joe? Uh, sounds like two to me. Okay. That's what the writer of Matthew thought too. <laughs> um, all right. So Matthew tells the story in Matthew 21, uh, verse two. He's, he's talking to his disciples. He says, go into the village 
and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there and a colt with it. All right? So Jesus is fulfilling his prophecy. The disciples went and they did just as Jesus had instructed. They brought the donkey and the colt. They laid the cloaks on them and Jesus sat on them. So here he's in Matthew, a rodeo trick. Yeah, he's doing a, a rodeo trick here, riding a donkey and a colt into uh, Jerusalem. He's riding two animals. Uh, because the writer of Matthew thought that sounded like two animals, so he wanted to make sure Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. What's really going on here is the writer of Zechariah is just emphasizing donkey. He says he'll be mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. Right? You say, well, how do you know that? What, I mean, obviously in Matthew it was two animals. Well, thankfully... Or luckily, I guess, I don't know. Uh, the same story is told in Luke. And in Luke, chapter 19, verse 30, here, here we have the same story. And Jesus tells them, go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter, you will find a colt on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say, this is for the Lord. He has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. So in Luke, we just have the one animal because Luke, you know, understood the repetition. It's just emphasis. The writer of Matthew makes the mistake of thinking there's two animals. So he includes two animals to make sure Jesus is fulfilling that prophecy. Um, you can look, look that, research that yourself. Uh, I just find that interesting. Uh, but he, Matthew also uses Zechariah there, so he should have known the other verse was from Zechariah, where he said uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Um, we can look at other things. Uh, if you turn to Second Kings chapter 19, and you read through that, and then turn to Isaiah 37, and look at that chapter, they are word for word identical. The entire chapter. All of 2 Kings 19 is the exact same thing that's in Isaiah 37. Uh, so it's clearly plagiarized. Unless God inspired the exact words to be said again. Um, but you could do this. You could hand one Bible to somebody open to pay to uh, 2 Kings 19. And you could open up to Isaiah 37 and read it. And they would be reading the exact same thing. It is word for word identical. Uh, okay. It's just kind of an example. <clears throat> All right, you go to that. I got Second Kings pulled up. So, do you want to you want to test that? What version you got there? Uh, the New King James. Let's do it. The New King James. Yeah. Okay. Second what Kings what? Nineteen. Second Kings nineteen. I'll go to Isaiah thirty-seven. Oh, we'll edit this out if this doesn't go our way. <laughs> yeah, it will. Just kidding, folks. We have it. We have uh, integrity here. All right. Good lord, that's some small. It's long. I mean, but what do you want to do? Start reading at the same time? All right. I'm in Isaiah um, 37. Okay. What uh, you said? Uh, what verse is it? Or is it all all, all whole, of chapter? All of chapter 19. Yeah. Second okay. Kings chapter 19. I'll count All right, down. so you'll just, you'll just start. Well, no, don't do it at the same time. But uh, I would say you read like the first two or three verses, and then I'll read the first two or three. Okay, you ready? Yeah, you go first. All right, Isaiah thirty-seven one, and so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. All right, hold on right there. Hold on right there. All right, I'll read verse one, two. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. That's word for word. Yeah, the entire <laughs> chapter is. I mean, it's it's just plagiarized. So <laughs> that, I mean, that's crazy. That, I mean, like that's something I didn't know. So that's yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's crazy. A, I didn't know that one either. <laughs> so just a, it's just a little example of the human touch, and and there's more examples of that. Um, we could, I'll just point to a, read a couple really quick. 
Uh, so First Corinthians fourteen thirty three. Um, you just have to ask yourself, did God inspire this? So fourteen thirty three. Um, we've got Paul. Okay, that's the women should remain silent passage. Uh, a lot of people think, you know, they don't they don't follow that anyway. First Timothy two and nine. Um, First Timothy two nine. Find that really quickly. All right, two nine says that's another women's one. <laughs> Sorry, I just wrote these down. Didn't write what they were. Uh, let's go at Galatians five twelve. Ephesians, Galatians, Galatians Ephesians, Philippians with a cat's drunk. It is Galatians, then Ephesians. All right. 512. Paul says, okay, this is the one I think is funny. So ask yourself, is this inspired by God? Paul's talking about those who... Uh, who keep preaching circumcision. I know. <laughs> he says, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. So circumcision, you know, you're cutting off the foreskin. Paul here is so frustrated with them. He says he wishes they would go head the whole way and cut the whole thing off. <laughs> he wishes the knife would slip, basically. They would just slice the entire uh, package off. <laughs> So, you know, is that inspired by God or is that just Paul getting frustrated? And there's a lot of examples of Paul talking like that. Um, 1 Corinthians 7.29, this is the last one, and then we'll, we'll start just talking. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.29, Paul says, okay, now this is just clearly Paul's opinion. He says, what I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. <laughs> All right, that's not great advice if you're married. <laughs> uh, those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Um, those who buy something, they should live as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Uh, and this, he, you can continue to read it. He's going on. He's saying the end is right here at hand. If you're married, don't worry about your marriage. You know, live as if everything's about to be over. Uh, and all the way he goes on through, he gives all this advice. Uh, and finally, at the very end of 1 Corinthians 7, he says uh, you know, he's talking about a woman, if her husband dies, you know, he thinks she's happier if she stays as she is. Um, he said, and I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. So he thinks he has this, the Holy Spirit there. He may not be sure. Um, and he also, in that same chapter, he's given advice. He says, this is not from the Lord. He said, this is my opinion. Uh, so is his opinion inspired? I don't know. Uh that's in 1 Corinthians 7, um, 12. He says, I say this to the rest, I, not the Lord. Um, so he's just giving some advice. Uh, and you can find biases and stuff all throughout. The Bible is not univocal, as we've hit, said. There are different views of God presented throughout the scriptures. Just look at different denominations. Right? You have, on one end of the spectrum, you have um, Lutherans and Presbyterians and some Baptists who think God is completely sovereign in charge of everything, and they have verses to back that up. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have something called open theism, where God has to test people to find out what they'll do. He has foreknowledge, uh, but he's not completely sovereign over every choice, everything that people do. Um, and they all have verses to back it up. Uh, and then across the board, Armenian Calvinism. So, so <clears throat> I have, I have so a quick question. Some things there. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, that that verse you just uh, were talking about, uh, verse twelve. Actually, mm -hmm. in thirteen, verse thirteen. So it's basically saying, if a man and woman are married, one of them is saved, basically, and one of them is not, then. 
the one who is not will be sanctified, which means they're basically saved. Well, I'll just read it real quick. Yeah, yeah, 13, 13. It says, a, And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Ah, so, you know, I don't know. I've never even heard anybody talk about that. <laughs> so if you're unequally so, yoked, then that means technically of one on saved. the other person. The both, the both <laughs> on saved. So what you're telling me is we should flirt to convert. <laughs> um, I don't know. So just, I mean, and there's so much stuff. But when you look at that, and then you, that's not even mentioning the whole like canon process of how we got these books, who picked them, uh, why they picked them, uh, their whole criteria that they were trying to meet the early Christians that disagreed, the ones who agreed, like there's, that's the whole process in itself. So that's why when you talk about inerrancy, if somebody's telling me I'm deceived or that I'm being dishonest, I need to know what you're talking about. Because I've just presented you, and, and some of them are very minor errors, but a lot of that is found in our, our Hebrew and Greek manuscripts, the oldest that we have. You have these differences. Um, and people will make the argument, well, the originals are the ones that were in error. But we don't have that. So we don't know. Like, there's no way. We don't have originals. We have some that go, I think, as, back, as far back to the second century. Um, we have like a small little piece of John uh, that dates into the second century, but that's the earliest thing we have. Everything else we have is from much later. And there is like Josh mentioned earlier, there's thousands of differences in those manuscripts. So people have to rely on their own understanding of what they're seeing and make judgment calls on how best to interpret passages. Uh, so you're probably going to end up with some errors there. You've definitely got errors between the manuscripts. You've got errors, clear errors that we just pointed out in English that are just not reconcilable. Um, a lot of people try to smash some of those stories together or figure out ways to explain them. But it's just, and it may be minor, but it's not inerrant. So I would need to know what you meant by inerrant. Um, and then again, like I mentioned, you can look across the board at denominations and uh, look at the different doctrines they believe. Everybody's got verses. Uh, and that's because the Bible also does not speak the same. Like each writer has their own thoughts about God. And it's not consistent throughout. Maybe we just need to say this because I, I guess it's not as common knowledge as you would think. That the canon, this was put together by a group of men that there's, there was all these different writings, Christian writings and a group of men set a criteria and chose the ones that they wanted to put together. Whenever Paul and, or, and whoever wrote the gospels and David and everybody that was writing to that wrote a book in the Bible, they weren't writing it as part to be a part of the Bible. It was an individual work. They were never meant to be put together. But that some guy, a group of guys decided to, am I, am I speaking out of? I mean, yeah, different groups at different times. There yeah. were groups that only want, there, were, there was a group called the Martians, Martians, not like uh, from <laughs> Mars, but Marcians. And uh, they read the Old Testament and they thought, this is not even the same God. They thought this God is, you know, this God is not representing Christianity. So they wanted to get rid of the whole Old Testament and only include um, books like John and the letters of Paul. They didn't think any of the Old Testament should be included or uh, some of the other epistles. And then you have guys, uh, the book of Revelation was in big debate. Um, Second Peter and Jude are clearly written by the same person. If you read Second Peter and then you go read Jude, you're like, oh, I mean, in English, you can tell that the same person wrote them. But in Second Peter, he says, I'm Simeon Peter. 
And then in Jude, he says, I'm Jude. But it's the exact same wording in a lot of instances. Uh, so England, just a regular <clears throat> reader of English can tell the same guy wrote it. And that's another thing right. that's in question that I think is not common knowledge to people, I guess, is that the authorship of a lot of, a lot of the books of the Bible are up for debate. There's a large section of like the pastoral epistles. I think I, I could be wrong, but I think the scholarly consensus, consensus now is that Paul did not write the pastoral epistles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's first and second Timothy and Titus. Uh, most scholars don't think Paul actually wrote those just because of the language, because of the dating of the books. Um, and like I said, we're not experts, so we're basing this off of research that we've read. Uh, so, but even that is not, take that out. I still can't, I still don't see how you can call the Bible inerrant. If you can listen to this, look up those errors, and still say the Bible's inerrant, I don't know what you're talking about. We can, That's the end of our discussion, because I no longer know what you mean by inerrant. I mean, do you agree? Like, oh yeah, you're either intellectually dishonest or just refuse, like, put your head in the sand and refuse to acknowledge the evidence that's presented. Yeah, and and, and like like we shared in the uh, slaves and women um, section, and we've got plenty more content to cover about the Bible, um, but not trying to be arrogant or anything, but I just it seems clear to me that there is human uh, thought processes in here. There's biases. Uh, I just don't, I'm not convinced we have an inerrant, inspired, authoritative book on which we can say this is enough to base our lives on without question. I think that I base my life on a lot of stuff in the Bible, but I don't. I, I still question things. I'm not going to just follow it blindly. And I don't think God uh, himself would want us to just have blind faith in a book. Um, I mean, we claim this is the word of God, but we base that off of certain passages in this book. That, that's exactly like, what I was about <laughs> to say. The, the reason I brought up um, that it was put together by men is because we use itself to defend itself. Like you got 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Okay, 2 Timothy may or may not have been written by Paul. Certainly wasn't talking about the New Testament because none of it had been written yet, or the majority of it hadn't been written yet. Uh, people also don't understand that Paul's writings predate the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John came after some of Paul's writings. They were written decades after the events that they describe. And so then you have Revelation 22, 18, 19. I warn everyone who hears the prophetic words in this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words in this prophetic book, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city described in this book. Again, it's an individual writing. It's talking about the writings of Revelation, not the entire Bible. Revelation was on the fringe of not even being put into the Bible. A lot of people didn't want it in, and a few people did want it in. So you, you can't use the Bible to show that the Bible isn't there because it wasn't it wasn't written to be put together with other passages. Yeah. Also, the like y'all have said, the Bible was written by man. Man is not perfect. You know, how often do you tell someone, like you just mentioned, they were written, some of the, the stuff was written years after the events took place. Uh, people are humans. We have memory loss. You know, I mean, how often do you tell somebody something and then that story gets told a different way or they hear it differently, you know? hundred percent in oral tradition. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. That was a pretty primary way of carrying things on. Yeah. That's what, I mean, that's how the gospel was. Yeah. Yeah. And what is it? Mark was written in 70 AD. Uh, I mean, that's a, is that a rough? so there's people who would debate that, but I don't think anybody says earlier than 40. Um, and only 
conservative Christian scholars claim that date. Most most that you would read say between sixty and seventy. But Mark was our first gospel. It's the earliest gospel we have. Which is how many which would be how many years after the death of Jesus? If it's sixty, I mean you're looking at right at thirty years. Yeah. So that's the first thing we have written down. And then when you read Luke, you see that he's pulling from other sources because he even mentions right at the beginning uh, that he's basing that off of count, accounts he's heard. Uh, yeah, so, the, so he's not just being inspired and writing down what he's, he, he's basing it off of. He's putting together an account. Uh, let, me, let me just find so that. So Matthew real, and Luke, really it's called the priority of Mark. Matthew and Luke pull from Mark. And then what's not in Mark, but is in both Matthew and Luke, is called Q. Correct. Uh, that yeah, we don't need to get into that because <laughs> we're we just be we're just trying to throw out my Bible knowledge here. <laughs> uh, anyway, in Luke, you can read this Luke one and one. He says, "Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses." Right, so Luke is not declaring himself as an eyewitness. He says many people, he's talking about the people before him who passed this stuff down. He says, therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So he's basing this, this book, the book of Luke, is based off of his investigation of these stories that he's heard. Right? He says, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Right? So Luke is investigating these stories and writings that he has heard, and he's writing it down for this one guy, Theophilus. That's what the book of Luke is for. Um, and you can read in, so, yeah. I mean, there's just, there's a lot. There's so much. So in the book of Luke, I mean, look at the accounts after the resurrection, um, what Jesus tells his disciples in Luke compared to what he tells them in Matthew, right? In Luke, he tells them uh, one thing, Matthew tells them another. I can't remember which is which at the moment, but just compare them. Just look, and uh, in one of them, they're told to stay in Jerusalem. In another one, they're told to immediately go to Galilee. So that you can't have it both ways and people try to you know mesh these things together and i understand the reasoning behind that but i feel like it's it's just being dishonest if you're not taking each book for what it actually says uh so and, and i'm saying this not to discourage you about the bible i'm just saying i'm just trying to get to take it for what it is take it for what it is right that's why these are the kind of things that have influenced my thinking about the Bible. And that's why I just can no longer take it on blind faith that everything in here is directly from God. Because, I mean, you have other contradictions like, uh, so, for example, um, these Psalms that are called imprecatory prayers, right? That's, that's where you have David praying curses on his enemies. You know, he's saying, curse him, you know, curse his family, let his... You know, let him die and then his wife be a widow and let, you know, all of his livestock die. You know, he's praying curses. But then in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says not to do this. He says, bless those who curse you. Right. So is David in the wrong here when he's praying these as the word of God? Or is there, I mean, it's, you can't have both. And Either praying know. curses is wrong. And you're supposed to be blessing those who curse you, or Jesus is wrong in the Gospels. Um, you also have conflicting ideologies from different writers, like Paul. Grace is all about grace. James is all about works. Yeah, I mean, and I've I've heard people try to uh, mesh that together, and but you know, it's uh, you just have to take it for what it is, yeah. and 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 just. You have to you have to actually read the Bible to start with, and then you have to actually ask yourself what's being said. Um, and I mean, like, I would recommend as you go, as you read the Bible, write down the things um, that stand out to you. Write down, ah, this looks, this seems, sounds a little weird. Let me investigate this. 
and just write stuff down as you go. Make notes. Uh, that way you can, you know, if you really want to know what, I don't even know, I don't even want to say authoritative, but what you should be living your life by, um, you're going to have to do some thinking. Uh, because, like I said, these books are written by people. They're put, it's, you know, copied by people. It is translated by people. The collection of them was chosen by people. I mean, when you read Jude, he's quoting the book of Enoch, which is not even included in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's basing some of his opinions off of a book that's not even in the Bible. Um, other books are mentioned, like throughout Kings and, and Samuel. They talk about different books uh, where they're getting ideas from. So, uh, I mean, that's just where I'm at with inerrancy. I just don't, I'm not convinced. And I don't think, I, I just have to, I don't think I'm deceived about that. I think I'm being honest. <laughs> so, like, a guy we were talking to just kept saying I was deceived and maybe my eyes would be open to the truth, <laughs> but he just, Ditto. you know, I mean, come on. We just have to be realistic and examine this stuff for yourself. I don't know. Final thoughts. So what, or not final thoughts, I guess, but so what do you do as a Christian who doesn't believe in er in inerrancy? Is that possible to even be a Christian? Do you think? Anybody? Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, I've said this before uh, that Christianity is based off an event, not a book. Everything in the there's only one thing in the Bible that has to be true, and that's to G was Jesus raised from the dead, because that that solidifies everything that he said. That solidifies who he is. And that's what I mean. The early church had no Bible, and they were the most. Yeah effective group I mean yeah that that would be my point like I can believe you know that Jesus was resurrected and came to save the world and I, I think the Bible has almost become an idol in modern American 100%. churches at least um, because we depend on this as if uh, you know we the early church didn't have this. They just believed Jesus was alive. They could pray. They could communicate. They could experience his presence. Um, and, you know, they needed some instruction. Um, but they also had, they knew the guys, uh, supposedly, I guess, that had walked with Jesus and, and were apostles. So, I don't know. I don't think you have to believe this is an inerrant book to be a Christian, even though if you go to most websites, yeah. most church websites, that's their number one belief. Yeah. So they're basing everything on that. What do you think, Joellen? Yep. Any thoughts? Yep. Comments, I, I agree. Emotional outburst. I agree with that too. I mean, <laughs> and the thing is that most, um, I mean, you see, a, here's the thing <laughs> I had written down this whole rant and I decided, I was like, okay, I got it out. I wrote it down, but I'm not going <laughs> to share it. But here's the thing that frustrates me is that you go into churches on Sunday morning, you go into, I, I've, I've heard it all. I've heard Baptist preachers, uh, say that Pentecostals who speak in tongues are, you know, being influenced by Satan that's not biblical so that's not god and they're going to be on their way to hell then i've heard pentecostal preachers say these baptist preachers who are preaching once saved always saved that's a doctrine of demons and that's going to send you to hell they're preaching false doctrine so those guys are going to hell um, and then i've heard both of them rail on you know the catholic church saying oh, that that's a church from satan catholic church is on their way to hell so you've got all these churches who can't agree on this one book what it teaches and they're all saying that each other's going to hell like what are people supposed to do in the bad the we bad thing that's the same we have to ask questions yeah the bad thing that's the same religion too you know yeah it's just coming from different point, different all, church everybody thinks <laughs> so it and like we have mentioned before it's kind of mellowed out with non-denominational churches um 
but pe- people still argue, you know, that they're the ones who are right and that everybody else is wrong. And that's because when you read the Bible, you're not getting, a, you're not getting consistent, uh, teaching. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, there are verses that support a whole wide range of doctrines. So, and that's just because the writers are not speaking from the same perspective. Um, and that's, I don't know. People will take that as controversial, but it's just reality. It's, reality. I mean, yeah. it's just what it is. You have, have to take the Bible have, for what it is. Have an open mind. <laughs> so if you disagree, I mean, that's fine. I just don't see how you can <laughs> prove that, how you can demonstrate it. Like I have demonstrated why I think what I think, you know, and there's a whole lot more we could talk about. Um, but I've laid out some of the reasons I think the Bible is not inerrant. And that's why I have had to adjust my faith to accept that. Um, I, I mean, it's just not possible for me to all of a sudden now, put faith back into the back into this idea that it's there's no errors and this is the word of God I got to follow it without question that's just not a possibility after I have seen and learned what I've learned so I have had to adjust my faith but you know that is the way of life <laughs> also for ones who say you're not supposed to question it I mean just Think about how that sounds to, you know, follow this, live your life by this. Do not question it. Like, right. And, and so I would ask them like, okay, so what would you say? You've got all these other holy books out there. You've got the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, the uh, Book of Mormon. All of these are supposed to be the word of God. They all have prophecies that have been fulfilled. Everybody right, is right. saying you just need to trust this book as authoritative and live your life by it. How, what are you going to say to them? You're just going to say, well, my book's the right one. You know, I believe this book. You need to question yours. Um, but if you're not willing to do the same, how can you ask that of someone else who believes a different book? Exactly. Uh, just some of my, my thoughts there. Um, and, and then I guess the other thing, so, because people t- people have talked about our podcast like it's dangerous. Like, these conversations we're having are, you know, they're harmful, they, they're dangerous. Like, and this is, this is what frustrates me about church is that we can't have these conversations. Exactly. Because some questions or some ideas are considered dangerous. Like, but this is life. We need to yeah. be able to openly... And honestly talk about things that confuse us or that we've noticed, that we have learned, and have discussions about that. If questions are off limits, uh, I mean, if ideas are dangerous, then what's the point of Sunday school? You know, that's what always frustrated me. It felt like there was always this kind of like, better not ask that question, you know. Or um, the response was always, you know, well, you just have to have faith. And those kind of responses are frustrating. And I'm not even just talking about like miracle stories. I'm talking about legit like questions like we've been discussing on this podcast. I guess uh, that concludes the TJ Herndon podcast. So, okay, so let's, <laughs> sorry. I know I, I know I took over this one. Uh, but I would like to end with two questions. All right. All right. Two questions. Um, if you believe the Bible is inerrant, why, ask yourself, why do I believe that? And how can I be sure of that? Ask those two things. How can I know this? So, why do I believe? The Bible's inerrant. How can I know if the Bible's inerrant? And if you once you are comfortable answering those two questions, then uh, I think you can move on with your faith. But I had to answer them. I had to ask myself that, and I have had to adjust based off what, what I've discovered.
Yeah. Hit, hit us up and let, let us know your answers. <laughs> Sorry. I'll let y'all do the next ones. Oh. Yeah, that's <laughs> good. It's good conversation. Yeah. Well, I just think there's so much, uh, there's so much that, that people don't know. And I know that someone even said this in the comments, like we are going to be the ones like it, it doesn't, I'm not, saying that we're the ones that discovered these things. I think it's a lot of knowledge once it's pretty common knowledge when you get outside the evangelical bubble of don't question your pastor or whoever's teaching you the Bible. Like there, there are things, there are serious questions that have to be asked. Um, and again, that can be asked within Christianity. Yeah. It doesn't have to destroy your faith. Right. Mm. Agreed. That it for you guys? Well, that concludes the most dangerous <laughs> episode of the podcast so far. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening and be sure to follow us on all socials at Holy Ship Pod. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>